I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. Welcome to The Last Mile Radio. We're paving the road to success. No lie. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a mission for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. Hey, paving the road to success. I'm paving the road. Yo, E. Chris, what up, what up? Well, today I think it's going to be super inspiring. Oh, yeah. And super motivating. We have a lot of energy that's going to be emanating from this studio. <laughs> this is true. But the one thing that we, we want to talk about is the art of positivity mm-hmm. and something that doesn't appear to be natural, especially in a prison environment. Uh, and you've experienced this, the negativity and oh, the yeah. positivity. But how positivity can overcome a lot of this and how you work on that and how that community really evolves around positivity. Definitely, Chris. You know, energy is infectious, man, on both sides of it, right? The negative aspects and the positive aspects. And prison, especially in California, um, from my own personal experience, it's, it's, it's a very oppressive and dehumanizing experience. So it's very easy to fall into the more negative aspects of infectious energy, if we will, right? So it, it, it's a challenge to find ways to have a positive mental attitude. It's a challenge, you know, to develop that and to maintain it, I think that's even harder to do. Not not only is it hard to get it, it's hard to keep it. So the importance of that, it can it can quite literally alter the way that you move on the inside. The ones that haven't really found the ways to find, you know, a positive mental attitude, they soak. They soak in that and ultimately get a little more immersed and inundated in prison culture, you know, and in prison culture, in my opinion, it, it definitely isn't the healthiest, <laughs> definitely isn't the healthiest of mind states to be in and um, accept that to be reality, if we will, because in my opinion, it's, it's, a, it's a super false reality, like all the things that apply that are important to prison culture, if we will, it's not applicable when you get out. The, who runs the yard and all, that, it, it's just not applicable when you get out. So to get lost in that is really setting yourself up for failure in so many different ways. So it's extremely vital to find ways to combat that. It's extremely vital to find, you know, that your, your purpose, to find why you're going to wake up in the morning, to find what's going to keep that smile on your face right. despite being in these depressive, dehumanizing conditions. Yeah, and and we've had so many examples of that on The Last Mile Radio. We've oh, yeah. had Michael Harry O'Harris, who found a purpose serving 30, 33 years in prison. He actually helped us start the last mile in San Quentin. Shout out Harry O. We had Ken Oliver who spent many, many decades in prison uh, and he developed that. He said he read over a thousand books in prison. And, and when you're in, in that oppressive environment, even Shaka right. Senghor, who was spent seven years in solitary, and he had this vision of being a best-selling author and being on Oprah, and he accomplished both, he accomplished both of those, right? Definitely. So um, how do you and you experience this yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you take that where you come inside that oppressive environment, you're around that, you're new to that environment, where do you find those initial nuggets that you can really build into positivity? You know, Chris, it's, it's quite a few ways to do it, right? I would say two, two of the most common that I've seen. First, humor. Like, you, one thing I, I realized we relied heavily on was humor, man. We had to laugh to keep from crying. And that's something that I had to, it, it took me time to develop that. Like the, the people that I was around in my core circle, especially like the times when I was in Old Folsom, like when I was in the earlier stages of my journey of incarceration, if we will, right? Um, like I was way more serious. I was way more conserved. I was way more, um, you, you know, I, I had that mask on for real, for real. But wasn't that partly fear? Well, well, I guess, yeah, absolutely. The fear of being seen as somebody that can be victimized. So I was more fearful of not being accepted when taking that mask off, if we will. Because, like, one thing I believe, like, it in prison culture, again, it's very toxic. And it can be 
a sense of it's either you're going to be a victim or you're going to be a victimizer. You know what I mean? So you kind of got to wear this mask or believe. Let me let me rephrase that. You believe that you have to wear this mask because when I took that mask off, I realized I didn't have to wear that shit to begin with. Like I could have been me from the jump and everything would have been just fine. So like definitely want to be perfectly clear on that. It's easy to fall into the beliefs that you have to wear this mask to avoid being victimized, to avoid the potential of that. You know what I mean? Um, so wearing that mask, I felt it was easy easier but people would be like oh we ain't gonna mess with him just go ahead leave him alone kind of thing right but um in actuality i didn't have to do that and that was based on that fear but don't you say i mean that reflects sort of in general in society like when oh, you yeah. got out you felt the same way like i'm not going to make excuses for my past i'm gonna i'm gonna own that right tell the story and be me isn't right. that the same whether you're inside prison or not it's kind of the same conundrum not definitely I, I think on the surface absolutely for sure i think it's a lot of parallels you know that are applicable from from prison to the outside and it's really more so mental constraints if we will versus the physical things um so i definitely i definitely would agree with that it's definitely the same things um really just understanding you know the power of who we are and what i mean by that is again not understanding the power of who i was that fear override overrode the reality of my value in the sense of again once i took that mask off i was quickly hit with the reality of i never needed to wear it to begin with once I was able to still be vulnerable and be on the yard, whether it was through music, through conversation, and I was still received and accepted, and ultimately other people are coming and was like, man, since you did that, it made me feel like it was okay for me to do it too, from people that was older than me, younger than me. Like, at the end of the day, you got a collective of men that are wearing these masks, and once somebody takes it off, that's actually an act of bravery. That takes courage, because sure what does. you're doing, yeah. you yeah. know, it is a you, you're responding to that fear, because that fear is still there. So now it's showing everybody else that that's okay and i think that's that's really through understanding again how powerful we are right because it, i i think fear can kind of be a weakness if you don't if you don't respond to it with courage in that sense right so like i think once i was able to fully understand that those were the type of things that ultimately opened up other doors that led to maintaining a, a, a positive mental attitude and w when you when you finally got out and you you started to pursue on you know in the business world, mm -hmm. uh, what sort of fears did you have to overcome? Because this is all new. I mean, you entered prison at seventeen years old, and now you're you're an adult. You have to be you know you have to be a breadwinner and all of that. How did you approach that? And how did you overcome some of those fears and trepidations of you know a free world? So one of my biggest fears was being misunderstood right and being misunderstood in the sense of this a lot of times when i got out and still to this day you know i'm still actively involved in some areas that's the hood that's not the best of areas right and i feel like people will question what are you doing still associated with certain people but now i realize you know that i shouldn't be fearful of that and it should be easier to be understood, if we will, that the reason I'm in these places and the reason that, you know, I still interact with certain people because I have that understanding and I want to encourage people to do something different. Right. And you can't actively make a change from a distance. You know what I mean? I can't not be present and be like, do as I do as I do. Or, you know what I mean? We can do something different, this, that, and the other. And people ain't going to hear that. Like, bro, you, you over there, yeah. you're not here where I'm at. You know what I mean? You have to be proximate. Absolutely. Proximity is a big is, is a vital factor in that. Um, but that was one of my biggest fears that I had to get over. And I used to just keep like a lot on the low, if we will. You know what I mean? So I'd be in the hood giving speaking engagements like it's not an actual event, but I'm out here like practically preaching. Right. And trying to offer resources and just a different way of thinking. And then I used to always think like, damn, like I, I feel like if certain individuals were to see this, that they probably would want to distance themselves from me or something like that, thinking that, you know, it was different forms of proximity when in actuality like for me it's like i have to be here to make the impact that i want to make because i know for a fact i can't make that impact without really being proximate and you've seen the impact right 100 100 yeah. i've i've literally i've literally you know seen people about to cause harm and violence and i speak to them and then they don't do it Right. And I know it's off the strength of our conversation. I know it's off the strength of the understanding that was gained 
when it came to the response to what they were feeling. Yeah, and I think that's part of what's missing. I mean, today we see so much violence, uh, especially in urban environments, where the only reaction we have is a reaction as opposed to being proactive. Right. And what you're talking about is going in and you say a lot, belly of the beast, whether it's in the hood or whether it's in prison, you have to be proactive there so we don't have to be reactive. Exactly. And, and, and the only ways we can do that is one, by being proximate and two, offering the resources, whether those resources are a different way of thinking, whether those resources are actually opportunities you know what i mean but we have to do things to to actively pursue transitioning that way of thinking that form of thought right um because a lot of times you know if you don't know better you can't do better so and it depends on who it's coming from like at the end of the day if i would have listened to my parents i would have avoided a lot of stuff but since it was coming from them i wasn't trying to hear that you yeah, know what right, i mean right. so like who is coming from really matters as well that can also that that influence can change the impact so me knowing that i'm i'm just old enough to you know be respected as a person that has some wisdom and still young enough for the young cats to not see me as just this old man kind of thing, just preaching kind of thing, you know what I mean, and still have that influence, i realize how important and vital that is for my presence so that that definitely means a lot from my perspective, you're still a youngster. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna take it. You know what I mean? But I, I I'm definitely I'm I, I feel like, you know, getting getting up there is a blessing in the edge. When you get up there in the edge, man, that's a blessing. So that's the goal for me. You for have sure. wisdom. You have wisdom. <laughs> so speaking of wisdom, we have a great guest today. Oh yeah. This guy is so much full of energy. Oh yeah. He's had so much experience. Positivity is sort of, I, I think he defines positivity. Definitely. Def, I, I, I think he's an excellent example of why energy is so infectious. That's right. Because you will be infected. You, but be prepared. You finna be infected. <laughs> That's right. Right. That's right. So we have uh, Mark Schulman, who is a legendary drummer. He's toured with so many different artists, most recently Pink, uh, spent 15 years on tour with Pink, and now he's doing uh, sort of a career pivot, and he's doing motivational speaking and so forth, but uh, that dude is a lot of energy. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Oh yeah, it's about to go down, so stay tuned, stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to be chopping it up with Mark Schulman. It's going down right here on the Last Mile Radio on Sirius XM. Yes, yes, and we are back. We are back. You are tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM. It's going down. Chris, another amazing guest in the house. Like teeth in your mouth, it's getting real. You probably seen our guest on tour with Pink back in the day. You probably seen our guest on tour with a bunch of big name artists at the end of the day. A drummer out of all things. And you know, we got, you know, your heartbeat got to be similar to a drum. Got to keep that thing going. And this man right here definitely has one hell of a heart, a big heart. I'm so excited to announce our guest today. We got Mark Schumann in the house with us. How you doing? Welcome to the Last Mile Radio. Yeah, I got to bring you with me everywhere, man. The energy is just... It's so infectious. <laughs> I, I was what a great like intro. Mine. What a great intro. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. I seriously am. What, what a fantastic. You guys are just absolutely magnificent. <laughs> that panel, we saw this panel last night of all the activity that's going on and all of the personalities and all, all of the commitment. And it was so, so impressive. It got me emotional at one point. It was oh, wow. really amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I have to say, if I could bottle E and Mark, maybe it's E and M, you bottle it in some sort of thing, but you guys. Yeah, maybe we could start our own like cologne or something. You know, <laughs> right. Like, uh, just our Energy. scent, we'll have our scent we can take anywhere, you know, bottle us up, right? Well, we really appreciate you joining us because, um, as he said, you have toured uh, for many, many years. You've had a great experience, but you're turning that into um, a, a new practice and turning that into something that really is creating inspiration and motivation for many people. And it's almost like, um, I don't know, I don't want to get trite, but a sort of a second career in a sense. That's but take, exactly what it is. Taking it's, all those you. learnings and then... Um, as we say a lot, dropping jewels on people, right? Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about that, about obviously you've had a fantastic career and you've toured all over the world, but then you're, you're breaking that down and really helping people, whether it's corporate, whether it's uh, different 
organizations or individuals, what is what has that transition been like, and and what has the response been to to some of the things that you've been doing? Well, I'm going to go way back. Okay, Let's so do it. <laughs> I both of my parents were college professors, right? So they were teachers. So uh, I didn't realize that I got that I inherited the teaching gene. I, all I wanted to do was play drums as a kid, and I always had the bands, and I always had was an engineer and had a studio and tried to produce and tried to do all things music. And then I did my first. Well, first, my, I was an assistant instructor for grammar and composition in college, and my mom ran the tutorial center, and she illegally gave me my own class to teach at 19 years old. Oh. English is a second language class. So I got up in front of the class, and at that point, I thought, yeah, this is kind of cool. I could do this. I, you know, it, everything just started flowing. I started kind of coming through me. I, I egoless about this stuff, but it was, I was like a conduit. Um, and then I did my first drum clinic, which is like a, you know, a drumming seminar for drummers at a music store in 1991. And I was so scared <laughs> and it just flowed so well. And I realized, wow, this is addicting. So then I did about a thousand drum clinics working with my companies and I was touring all over the world with different artists. And I'd on all the days off and whenever I could, I'd do a drum clinic. So I'd be out with Simple Minds or I'd be out with Cher. I'd be out with Billy Idol. I'd be out with Forner. I'd be doing drum clinics on the days off. You know, just casually dropping the names of some well, legends. <laughs> well, those, I mean, that's what I, I toured. That's, you know, I spent the last 15 years with Pink. I mean, I've been I'm the luckiest guy on the planet because I work with these incredible artists. And uh, also at a point that I, I, I met through my ex-wife, Kelly, who's still a great friend of mine. I met this gal named Jill Gurr, who was the uh, sort of the chairman of this, this um, nonprofit called Create Now that mentors at-risk and high-risk kids with artistic mentoring. And we immediately hit it off. And she said, you want to come in and just be involved in this? And I thought, this is great. So I joined the board. And then at one point I became chairman of the board and I realized, wait a minute, I'm not an administrative kind of guy. I'm the guy that wants to go in and meet the kids. So I went to every detention camp in LA and did a program. You know, me and my friend wow. Roger would help me or my ex-girlfriend, Jen, I'd bring a little PA, I'd bring a drum set and I'd bring a screen because I used to do stuff with video and I'd set it up inside, outside, wherever we'd set it up and I'd do a program for the kids because wow. my idea was like I wanted to connect and be able to give back. So that was my first chance to really be of service in that sense because I knew that I learned through my drum clinics that people were resonating more with the success stories learning how they can be where I am instead of where they are, as opposed to just the playing components. And then at a point I realized, you know, one of the great drum ambassadors, Dom Famularo, rest in peace, he just passed away from pancreatic cancer. And he had said how he had ended up doing a corporate gig because this corporate head was there with his kid at a drum clinic. He said, you're so motivating. Can you just come to my corporation? And I think I've got $7,000. And at the time we're making like 500 bucks doing a drum clinic. He's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so that's stuck in the back of my head. I thought, you know, I could do that. So at a point I started to realize that I could use this platform. I could use my quote unquote drumming celebrity to kind of get in the door, but I would need to design content that was corporate friendly and corporate relevant, but I could use the old drum clinic formula where I play and I tell a story and I play and I tell a story. So that's basically what I do. It's just that now the content is really refined and now I've studied with two speaking coaches and an acting coach and a director and a um, storyteller. So I've really refined the presentation. I call it a rock show disguised as a keynote. It's a one-man show. But the like whole that. idea behind it is... I'm sharing my stories and my experiences. I'm using music as a metaphor for performance for other in, in other areas, you know, for IT people, for salespeople, for production people, for distribution people, um, you know, sales, communication, healthcare. I work for everybody from, you know, American Express to Kaiser to Dell to IBM to Microsoft. And because it's all relative, it's all relative. We're all performers essentially. And, uh, I speak on the power of attitude now because I've realized and, and everything I speak about is stuff that I incorporate in my life. And it can also really apply to the incarcerated folks as well, which is that we know we can't control what happens to us so much of the time, but right. no matter what happens to you, you always have the power to change control or shift your attitude. Come on, man. Absolutely. And, and what people don't realize though, is your attitude is what actually drives your behavior and yep. think about the power and the, and, and, you know, the implication in that. And one attitude can drive many behaviors, and your behavior is what determines the consequences of your life. So by shifting your attitude, you are changing the outcomes of your life, and everybody has the power to do it. Yep. 
And people don't realize the power of attitude because your attitude is your point of view. It's where you're looking from. It's your vantage point or your disadvantage point, depending upon the attitude that you have the power to choose. So that's basically what I base it on. But I tell a lot of stories, you know, about how amazing, you know, unbelievable stories about how, you know, Pink demonstrated, you know, real absolute gumption and power in creating attitude shifts and how Cher did and how Billy Idol does and even Foreigner. Um, and I've just finished write, co-writing my second book with the guy who's the mentor of my life, Dr. Jim Samuels, that created this ABC formula. But we interviewed Judd Apatow and Howie Mandel and um, different sports figures and Tony Shea, the CEO from Zappos and on, on uh, Grant Cardone and Martina Navratilova about the power of attitude. And every single person said that attitude was the foundation for their success. And they loved the formula because they all realized when they looked at that formula, you know, you're right. My oh, attitude yeah. is driving my behavior and the behavior is what determines the consequences of life. So it's so universal and so simple. So I, people, I show people how they can do an immediate attitude shift. I demonstrate different attitudes. Definitely. And I just have so much fun. And I'm always playing drums. And I use drums demonstratively to, you know, prove some points. So it's all kind of work together. And I realize that I think we're all responsible if we have a platform to be able to be of service. You know, I finally realize that everything I do is truly to be of service, whether I'm playing drums on the road whether I'm up speaking with people, whether I'm doing an interview, I'm here to be of service to you, to the listeners. If everybody looked at their life as being of service, then we become less selfish. It also takes us out of our own problems and our own uh, focuses on challenges and lets us put it into, I mean, the moment, if you are challenged and you decide to be of service to somebody else, your challenges just melt away Absolutely. because your focus completely changes. You know that. Absolutely. You're a perfect, you're perfect example of that. I, I, I'm a firm believer in this, Mark. I believe when you move with purpose, your path is protected. And I believe everybody has a purpose and that purpose is greater than them. That purpose is to be of service. It's to be of service, right? So I feel like when you, when you step into that, it, it's something about energy, right? I say it all the time. Energy can't be fake because it's felt. And when you step into that and you emanate that energy, it's felt and it's received. Yeah. But ultimately, it's as if like like the universe puts a, a protective shield around you on your walk, on your journey. And everything just falls into place. Like you said, like all, all the stresses just seem to like melt away. Uh, you, you would it's never beautiful. be in need. You know what I mean? Maybe a lot of stuff you may want. And it may be a lot of stuff you may want that you would never get. But you would never need for anything if you move yeah. with purpose in that sense, I believe. And it's interesting you say that because one of the things I talk about when I speak is I talk about, um, I look at drumming as a metaphor, right? And I say, you know, I'm, now I'm going to show you an example of the difference between what I play and how I play it. Mm. And I play what you what mean I, by that? What you mean by that? Well, I play what I play, and I'm just playing, and you can see me, and I'm playing kind of just low and without any purpose, any passion. And this is how I play it. Mm. And so how I play it is a demonstration of my passion. And do you think I'm passionate? But he says, yes. I said, that's great. But passion is fleeting. Mm. Passion gets you there. Passion doesn't keep you there. Oh, because deep. at some point you realize, wait a minute, the passion is wearing off. It happens in relationships. It happens in corporations. It happens in everything you do. And then all of a sudden the passion has gone. But there's an expansion of passion that can bring the passion back. And that's why you do it. And your why is your purpose. And that's what I finally realized. And I realized that if I attach a, what I'm actually doing, if I play every single note like it matters... That's I like why that. I work with these great people because I, I play every note like it matters. And every note turns into every word, every thought, every action. If you play every note, every word, every thought, every action like it matters, guess what? You become more passionate again about that note, word, thought, or matter, or, 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 or that matters. And the passion feeds the purpose and the purpose feeds the passion. And I call that the cycle of engagement because being engaged, being present, being mindful is critical. Because, you know, my program is called Hacking the Rockstar Attitude. That's the rockstar attitude. The greatest performers, as you know, when you're performing, you're fully engaged. You're fully present. You're actively listening. You're responding as opposed to reacting. You're responding to everything that is going on. You're responding to all the notes to the other musicians. And then when you're doing that, you know, you have a, just a sense of awareness and a sense of acuity. And that engagement, and that is what creates absolute purpose which will reignite the passion. And it's a really magnificent sort of cycle. Right. 
Yeah, that, and that's that's so important. I mean, you know, in the last mile, we teach coding skills and audio video skills inside prison, and you can now choose a path. And many people in the program really didn't have a choice when they were younger. Yeah. And we talk a lot about second chances. Many folks in the program or, or in, who are incarcerated never had a first chance. Wow. But now that for the first time, they get to actually choose a path. And there is so much sort of desperation, lack of hope, you know, behind, behind the walls. But this actually, and he obviously has firsthand experience in that. And, you know, he found his passion through music as yeah. you experienced. Uh, and, you know, that led him down a positive path and you see what's happening today. Yeah. You know, he has a, a great voice. I wanted to just, you know, just dovetail back a little bit because we have so many folks that are getting out of prison, they're starting a new life, and this is sort of that chance, but it's also branching into something new. You actually had a successful career and then you branched out into something new. Right. Everybody has trepidation about that. You know, you're a very confident, successful guy. What trepidation did you have when you stepped out into this new career? Ah, the imposter syndrome. Right off the bat, I thought, who am I to be speaking in front of a bunch of executives? I've done executive summits. I don't even have a college degree, man. I started playing music halfway through college and never turned back. So immediately I thought, who am I? for these people to listen to me? What, why do I deserve for people to listen to me? And why do I deserve to even be here? How did and you I, overcome and, it? And I needed to answer the question because I thought, well, I have a lot of life experience, a lot of real life experience. And I started looking at all the experiences I've had since I was playing in my first band at 12 years old to touring with Pink, how much I've learned about communication, about teamwork, about collaboration, about engagement. And when I realized, wait a minute, I have a lot of life experience and I believe that we can all learn from each other. If I sat down with any incarcerated person in any one of those jails and they tell me their story, I would learn something. So the truth is that we all can learn from each other. And I have, and I have a story. And if, since I've worked very hard on how to put it together so it makes a lot of sense and it has purpose for everybody else in the, in the audience, that legitimizes what I do. And you tell the story and someone learns from the story. When somebody has an emotional reaction, that's fantastic because when they have an emotional reaction, that means they have a realization. Anytime you laugh or you cry, you're having a realization, which means that something's going on in your brain. You just connected something. And when you make that connection, then you grow. And that brings you closer to your purpose. You know, I can't stress enough that, you know, passion is what gets us there and purpose is what keeps us there. So you, anybody can find something there. Oh, I like this. I'm passionate about this. So what's critical is then you take that passion and you move it to another level and say, well, how can I make, how can I make this my why? How can I drive this into a really deep sense of purpose? And that's, the responsibility. And that's what I did. I realized, well, I'm passionate about this and I can speak and I can tell stories and I can get up in front of people and make people laugh or make people, or, you know, play some pretty cool drum licks. But then I decided, well, I'm going to turn this into, into a strong sense of purpose so I can really move these people. I can really enhance their lives. And that's what it's all about. Again, being of service. We talked about it earlier. It's being right. of service. Absolutely. That, 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 immediately brings to mind for me, right, for the people out there that are still trying to find that purpose and find that passion, what, what advice would you have for somebody that hasn't quite really figured it out? Like, what, how, how would you encourage them to figure it out, if we will, like those steps needed in order to, like, for it to really just emanate with you and, hit, and, and, and impact you in a way where it, it's indisputable, if we will, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, how does that become clear? Well, I think, Frankly, a lot of it has to do with education, because the more you learn, the more you start to find, oh, I'm, kind of, I'm passionate about that. Like, that moves me. I'm passionate about the environment. Right. Or I'm passionate about um, this bit of technology. It's interesting to me. So I think you find it by simply learning, because we can become passionate about anything. Right. And I think that's the key, is you can almost look at 10 different things and go, well, wow. I like this. I'm interested in this. I find this interesting. I find this fascinating. And it's almost like you just pick one. And then you go, then it's a deeper dive. Then you do the research and you find out more about it and can become more passionate about it. 
And then that passion can drive you into a position where, wow, I feel a sense of purpose with this. If I really put my energy into this, this becomes more than a how. This becomes a why. Right. And this becomes my reason for getting up in the morning. What gets you up? What is the, the basic intrinsic motivating factor for you to do what you do? And that's when, it be, that's when it transfers from passion into purpose. So that's why I don't think it's as hard as people think. Right. Because I think people think, oh, I need to have a passion on it. Like, you had drums. Okay, you're right. I did have drums. I was lucky. I was incredibly fortunate that I was born with this proclivity and this interest in drumming. But now I'm speaking. And speaking became an interest. I thought, well, that's interesting. Look, people can get up there and talk in front of people and move them and, and shift their attitudes and do right. things. And then I thought, I could do that. I'm passionate about that. And then when I went down the rabbit hole a little bit, I started, wow, this is my purpose now. I think it takes a sense of being open to new experiences as well. Because a lot of times I'm finding, at least in my own experience of being proximate to certain individuals and things, right? I'm finding like the distractions of life kind of hinders people from exploring new opportunities. And then that leads them to believe like, well, I don't have a passion. I don't know what it is. I'm still trying to figure it out. But it's like, have you really put yourself in a position to be open enough to even try something new to see if you are passionate about this or that, you know Perfect. what I mean? That's exactly it. And it's so easy to become distracted by like video games and this and that. Or the bills. And <laughs> the bills. But you know, you owe it to yourself to learn. Right. Education is, is the foundation of all of it. If you become educated, you will find things that make you passionate. If you pick up a paper, you pick up a magazine, you start reading articles, you go, well, paper magazine listen to me i'm so analog go on the internet and just any little thing there's so many things to become interested in so right. let's let's swap out passion let's go even let's make it even a little more innocuous say just interested so, oh this is interesting to me right because if something interests you then that's gonna and, and you really notice that that's it's, an indicator it, it's, it's paying attention you know one of my big fears in life is a missed opportunity Right. Mm -hmm. So if I realize if, if I'm paying attention, I'm not going to miss the opportunity. So if you're paying attention to what interests you and then you start studying that a little bit more, then you're like, wow, I'm becoming pretty passionate about this. And then you study it even more and then you go, wait a minute, I think I could actually go into this field. And then it becomes your purpose. Then it becomes your why. Then you wake up in the morning and that's the first thing you think about. Right. Then it's your why then it's your purpose. That's the transition. That's the moment right there. Chris, I, I believe that's something you definitely could relate to, like with the last mile. Like, right. You know, well, that, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, getting in, getting uh, exposed to things that you would not normally get exposed to. And, right. and certainly that's my journey with Beverly and I starting this is not having any orientation toward uh, the criminal justice until we walked into San Quentin that first time 13 years ago. And what we're doing today, we're actually launching a program in youth facilities because now we're in adult prisons. But to your point about finding passion uh, and part of what our curriculum is, and we're, we're actually going to talk to Create Now about taking part of the arts program and putting it in there and giving sort of a, um, an a la carte menu of coding, audio, video production, right. creative arts, public speaking, entrepreneurship, and having those folks that are, you know, it, their youth, they're 16 to 25 is really the, what's categorized as youth in, in especially in California yeah. corrections, yeah. but just finding something that they can identify with, that they want to pursue. And I think that's so important because the exposure to, and especially arts, gets it's the first thing that cut, gets cut out of schools, of right? Of course, I know. So part of that is exposing to a variety of things and finding a passion. And uh, the other thing that really is important, and you know, we're, we're very involved in uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion when it comes to corporations and so forth, but it's also one of the things that we want to address within music and entertainment. We had Linda Perry in um, previously, and uh, you know, as you know, she's very progressive in many ways, yeah. but she was really you know, very um, adamant and very focused on um, creating opportunities from a gender equity point of view there are not enough producers in, in music. There's not enough engineers sitting at the board. Is that something that is apparent to you? Because it seems like that's an inequity that needs to be addressed and give other folks a chance to change that sort of status quo. 
That's an inequity on the planet, period. Yes. And we know that. Yeah. So it, it doesn't just apply to any individual career. And I think, fortunately, in, in the arts, certainly historically, the greatest of the greatest artists, it's always been a big mixture. I mean, it still matters to a lot of people. There's a crazy amount of prejudice and inequity. But I also think there's, fortunately, there's a lot of awareness. And I, and I see, because of the awareness and because of, you know, a lot of people just literally outright, you know, having rallies, um, I see interesting, this complete openness, this gender openness. You know, my daughter's 13, right? So as a 13-year-old, you know, she's talking about friends that are um, gender fluid, gender neutral. Um, you know, there's all these different gender categories, and they all mean something. And, you know, at one point for me, I thought, oh, that sounds like it's kind of silly. It's kind of overdone. But then I realized the pendulum, it needs to get, be that extreme because these people need to be acknowledged. Um, and not that I'm, you know, promoting a certain, you know, like, like gender transformation at 13 years old, because I think that that's a little premature for anybody. That's my own opinion. But I think acknowledging, like, you know, my daughter is, is gender blind and colorblind, you know, and it's interesting because she's an actor too. And she's a very, very good actor, according to her manager and her agent. I don't say, oh, my daughter's so great because, you know, they say she's a very good actor. She has lost a lot of parts to people of color because it's very popular now that the, you know, a lot of the producers and the directors and the casting directors are selecting people of color. And my answer to that is fantastic. It's their time. They deserve it. You know, it might not be my daughter's, my blonde hair, blue eyed daughter's best time to be in the industry, but I applaud the fact that there is this awareness and they want to publicly promote people of color, you know, in where they're in a position where young people and old people can see a lot of different people of color in, in these positions of being artists. So I have seen the, this wave kind of shift and it actually makes me feel good. And I've seen it firsthand with my daughter. And granted, we're in a big city, and I know this doesn't happen in the smaller towns. You probably don't see a lot of, you know, gender-neutral kids in, like, some little town in the middle of, like, you know, the Ozarks or something. Right. Um, but I think that because of the Internet, the one, you know, the there's a lot of people have issues with the Internet, but one of the great things about the Internet is how quickly trends like that can travel. Right. And how much awareness we can create on such a massive scale so quickly. So that, to me, is exciting. So I think it's a very exciting time to be alive. And I actually see a lot of opportunities for people. I'm, I'm, I happen to be kind Definitely. of a, you know, a, a pretty serious optimist, but I think that I'd rather lean in that direction rather than being pessimistic because I think that being oh, yeah. optimistic about it and looking at all what, you know, the possibilities as opposed to the limitations. Right. I'm always a guy who looks at the possibilities of what can be as opposed to li the limitations that we have. Um, got a long way to go. Right. But I do see an improvement. Right. We, we, uh, we have launched uh, several years ago audio-video production that we teach inside uh, several of the prisons. We're expanding that across the country. So you have folks that are learning Avid Pro Tools. They're That's learning DaVinci um, video uh, editing and so forth. As the industry is changing very rapidly, yeah. where do you think the big – because there's folks in the program that are going to listen to this show. Where do you think those opportunities are as this industry evolves? AI. I think that AI is the greatest opportunity. And I think that so many people are afraid of it because people look at AI as being an enemy. People look at, at AI as taking jobs. What I, what I understand and, uh, uh, you know, my, my, my partner is, uh, she's an AI implementation specialist and she's learning all about it. And mm -hmm. what we're realizing is we're realizing that, uh, AI is our friend. So in, in your opinion, like, it won't be taking jobs? Like we'll be able to utilize no, it to I think assist? That, I think that in, as people learn to work with AI mm -hmm. and use to learn to use it as an adjunct, mm. um, because we always need humanness. It's like, right. you know, it's funny because certainly post-COVID, I know in, in, the, uh, 
in the corporate world from what I've learned because, you know, COVID hit and all of a sudden I wasn't employed because I was supposed to do a hundred speaking gigs and all of a sudden I had none, you know, yep, in, in sure. two days I had 19 speaking gigs go away and in, you know, for two months, that's how it goes. Um, but what I realized is so many people never return to work. Right. So 50% of the workforce still works at home. But what that's happening now is that's enabling the conference business to become even bigger because I think that what AI and what technology will never take the place of is human interaction. Definitely. And we just absolutely need that. That's why people still flood to go to concerts. That's why Taylor Swift is, you know, making $2 billion in live shows because people cannot get enough of being together. So I think it's about the balance. And I think that, you know, the amygdala is the part of the brain that produces both fear and excitement. And fear and excitement are very close. They're like flip sides <laughs> of the same coin. So the very same thing you can be afraid about, you can actually be excited about. Right. So I think the people that are afraid of AI, if you start to view it from a slightly different standpoint of like, well, this is an adjunct and people are still going to need me and they're still going to need people, um, that's, you start to look at it more of an opportunity than a threat. That definitely makes a lot of sense. I can see the logic in that for sure. And uh, man, we could go on and on and oh, on. Oh yeah, we can. Oh my goodness, well, this is like the tip of the iceberg, man. <laughs> right? Oh, the real. I, I love we, this. Have, we have one inch of the iceberg <laughs> sticking out of the water right now. Man, I love this so much. But it's about that time. It's about that time, right? And one thing we like to ask before we close with our guests, um, this is a universal question. If there's one thing, and I know there's plenty of things, plenty of things that could be changed, but if there's one thing um, that you would change in our current system, what would that be and why? Well, when it comes to the prison system, I, I thought about it, did some research, and I came up with, I think, normalizing prison environments with evidence-based programming, including brain-based mindfulness therapy, education, conflict resolution, and personal development. That's going to help incarcerated individuals lead successful lives in the community as family members, employees, and community residents. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's that, that's really what we do, right? Literally. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, as we go across the country, normalization seems so obvious, but it's not. And Unfortunately. The, the lack of humanity that exists in prisons across the country is very evident. So yeah. what you say is very poignant, and that's really sort of the theme of what we're trying to do as well. So um, thank you for that. I appreciate that very much. And, and the work that you've done with the youth is going to translate into helping others that are incarcerated. So that work that you, you help establish is definitely something that we're going to utilize in the future. So we really appreciate that effort as well. Um, and, you know, one of the things that happens when you get involved in the last mile, you never leave. So <laughs> I, I hope you understand so what you got involved I'm, in. I'm in for life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, I, and I love it. <laughs> and, and we can't let you get up out of here without giving you your flowers. One thing that we do on the Last Mile Radio, we give people their flowers, man. A lot of times, you know, when somebody passes away, that's when they quite literally get their flowers and they get the good words and the acknowledgments and the credit due. So, man, got to give you your flowers for the work that you've been putting in. So serious, bro. Like, the way your mind works, the, the, the jewels that you're dropping, like, it can literally be used <laughs> to quite literally, like, alter a person's mind that can change the trajectory of their walk. So that's very, very important. That's the type of work that uh, people like myself had to put in while I was incarcerated to utilize for when I got out. So like changing your mind frame in those type of ways is such powerful work, such powerful work. So got to give you your flowers, man. I'm I'm honored. I love flowers. I love the smell <laughs> of flowers. So let's take it. I'm alive. I can I can enjoy it. I see so. E.R. I can see him formulating lyrics as you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, this has been super impactful. Another thing I say all the time is presence is priceless. So thank you so much for being present. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and dropping these jewels on us. This has been incredible. Well, I, I want to thank you because you guys are, are facilitating this. You created this. You had the realization of how to take something, how to take a passion, Chris, that yes. you discovered yep. and turn it into a purpose. And uh, I tip my hat to you. I'm, I'm just s simply a guest 
and you guys are the, you know, I'm helping you to, to further along your case, but you got, you're the master manifestors. Well, so thanks thank for, you for that. doing that. Thanks for that. And, and this is a story that's going to continue. So really, really appreciate that. Ah, pleasure. Absolutely. And you just tuned in to the last mile radio. We had the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Mark Schumann on the show. This was a very powerful discussion, but stay tuned because we're going to be coming back with more very shortly. So stay tuned. This is the last mile radio on Sirius XM. Yes, yes, and we are back. We are back. You are tuned in to the Last Mile Radio right here on Sirius XM. It's going down. And we just chopped it up with Mark Schulman. Chris, that was just incredible. He's an amazing, amazing guy. Yeah. <laughs> just like Was that infectious though, or what? He is an amazing guy and such a real, genuine human being, you know, and what he's doing today, you know, he's, he's speaking in so many different environments uh, and he's, as you say many times, dropping jewels, mm-hmm. but he's doing that and he really did a career pivot and realizing that he had a gift that he wanted to share. And, and what he said about, you know, he feels like he needs to be of service. Right. He's being of service, but he's also, you know, um, d- doing things for community like he did with uh, with the youth and the arts. Uh, continue to do that. And, and I know now that he's part of the Last Mile family. He's going to be doing a lot of stuff with us as well. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. One of the things that stood out to me that he said, and, and, and for me, it was really like preaching to the choir for me, because this is something that um, like when I like when me and Antoine's bank, Antoine Banks Williams had the school tour going like when we was fresh out. This is something that I used to be heavy on trying to instill in the kids in the high schools that we used to go to, as well as like juvenile halls. But really understanding how powerful we are. And, and, and what I mean by that is having the power to choose how we respond to everything that we face with in life. So when he was touching up on that, on how we have the power to choose how we respond to those type of things like that really impacted me because it, it was more like confirming like. Like, man, he get it. You know what I mean? Because, like, it's a, it's a lot of people that I feel don't realize how powerful that is. And, like, in my opinion, perception is reality. So, like, the way you perceive the world is quite literally your reality. If you believe you're in hell, you're in hell. If you believe you're in heaven, you're in heaven. So it's like understanding that you can really turn your hell into heaven by just the way of you think. You know what I mean? By just. Like how you respond to what you're faced with if you if you maintain, which is much easier said than done. Definitely got to give a full disclosure on that. But if you able to respond to it in a way where you see the bright side in things, where you see a way how you can keep on pushing and not let something immobilize you, where you see, you know, that the glass is half full, not half empty. Like, I feel like everything just falls in alignment. And and like we, like I said, when we was chop, chopping it up with him, right? Like your path is protected when you move with purpose. Yeah. And understanding like the power of those responses, I feel like will always come back in alignment with purpose. Yeah. And, it, you know, the, the idea of being passionate is has a, a shelf life. Like passion right. leads to, you have to sort of dovetail into some purposeful, you know, message or some purposeful act because right. passion can be fleeting. Right. Definitely. Definitely. No, for sure. And and I think just as time progresses, I think that's natural for like anything. So like if you have a passion without purpose, I think it makes absolute sense that eventually, you know, your efforts will, will begin to digress unless you find the purpose for it to keep going. Yeah. And so so let's take you, for example, you're you're passionate about music. Mm-hmm. You you spent you know, nine years in prison. You wrote over 500 songs. There's a passion about expressing yourself. Absolutely. Then it has to turn into a purpose. Now you're out. You want to pursue that. You're pursuing that. Definitely. Um, and that's not easy, right? Definitely not. Definitely not. And, and, and what I used to believe my purpose was, right? I used to believe that my purpose was music. Now, 
I, I believe it's been revealed to me, if we will, right? I believe that music was the gift bestowed upon me to fulfill my purpose. And my purpose is planting the seeds to the masses. And that's the seeds of the tools of wisdom to be utilized, such as maintaining a positive mental attitude, things like understanding that you have the power to choose how you respond to each and everything that you face with in life, planting seeds like that. I feel like the music is a way to make it digestible, but ultimately the purpose is to plant those seeds that can bring change. And make that connection. Like when you perform, when you uh, work with other people, you know, we think a lot about you have to be a superstar mm. to be able to, to translate that message. Right. That's not necessarily true. Not at all. You know, if you have a small group of people and you're performing and, and that resonates with one person, you know, Absolutely. we, we, I, I subscribe to the, the notion if you, you're in an environment, you're speaking to a group or whatever, it could be thousands or dozens. If it resonates with one person, then you've been affected. 100%. I, I, I subscribe to that as well. Cause like, I, I feel like this, right? You can, you can change the world, right? Or you can change the world for a person. I think both of them are just impactful. If I change the world for one person, for me, that's job well done. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, when we started last month, we started with seven guys, mm -hmm. right? And uh, to see that, and I remember sitting in the classrooms, and I would say something, and it's almost like you see the epiphany happening in that person. You see it in their eyes, The light right? switch, yeah. Yeah. And to me, that was a win already, Definitely. right? So you take those small wins, and you work into larger and larger and larger, but those small wins are in many ways just as important for that particular person. Definitely. And, and one thing I know is this. We all have somebody that we influence, whether we know it or not. There's somebody that we have an influence on. So if you're able to spark something in somebody else, that then allows them to spark something in somebody. It, it, it's the gift that keeps giving, right? That's a chain reaction, man. <laughs> it definitely is. Like, like it's literally, the, and you got to think about this, right? Like, hypothetically, if you was to, if it is a, a, a one individual that has like, a mass change on the globe and that change came from you kind of thing, right? Like you sparked that in them. You still played a role, That's you right. know, in making that mass change because it, it it took you being a part of that journey. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've had a conversation with Layla Steinberg, right. who was there with Tupac at the very beginning. Right. Right. And she had some of that influence that helped pr propel him and his message a long way, but it took those nuggets for him sitting in her living room, literally, when they started. And maybe if she wasn't there, he would have taken a different path or maybe not even pursued it. Who knows? Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm a firm believer, as you know, Chris. Me personally, I don't believe in coincidence. I, I'm a firm believer in divine design. But I think that's an excellent example of how, how that works, right? Because, again, if that never happens, if, if Pac, you know, doesn't encounter Layla, like, I don't think we have a Tupac in the world. I don't think it goes down like that. And I think the evidence is in what actually took place, what's meant will be. You know what I mean? I think if, if it wasn't meant, it wouldn't have happened. That's right. Well, we're going to continue this conversation because <laughs> there's positivity reigns throughout our conversations, but we have to pause for the next time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We can definitely go deep down a rabbit hole <laughs> for sure. But with that, you know what we do at this time, Chris. I got to give you your flowers. We give flowers on the show. You know you got to get yours, man. You always show up and show out. Well, great. I appreciate that very much. And back at you. And I'm going to accept my flowers. And speaking of flowers, I got to give you your flowers. Thank you for tuning in and rocking with us again. Y'all know I say it all the time. Presence is priceless. Presence is priceless. So thank you so much for rocking with us. I hope you soaked up some game. And also, we would love to hear from you. We want to hear what you like. We want to hear what you don't like. We want to hear what you want to hear. Let us know. Tap in. So be sure to tap in with us at thelastmileradio.org. And if you want to hear this show or any show, anytime, download the SiriusXM app. Download it. I'm Maserati E. And I'm Chris Redlitz. And this is The Last Mile Radio. On SiriusXM. No lie. I, I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I've been on a journey for a while. Finally, I see the last mile. I'm paving the road to success. Hey, 
I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, I'm paving the road to success. Hey, I'm paving the road to the best. Wait, no lie to the best ways. To increase the success rate. Define odds against us even when it's unexpected. Changing the world by changing the way we view the world. It's all perspective. 